<laughs> Hello, did you miss me? I know you did. So here's the thing. I actually do keep getting fucking hotter. Uh, like, that's that's absolutely true. And one of the great reasons that I'm back to come in and, and do this show is because I quite literally, I mean quite literally, wouldn't stop admiring my own body. Uh, not all of it, because parts of it goddamn suck. But I legitimately uh, love the way that musculature and, like, my legs look when I'm standing up and I'm doing chores and stuff. It really does. <clears throat> it feels like I've come so far, and I feel like a totally different person. And I can't go to the gym and work out. I haven't been to the gym and worked out in well over 100 days, right? And I'm gonna, it's going to be so much better when I can actually get back into one, if that should ever hypothetically happen to me again, should I live that long. And I know, I know it's dumb and conceited to talk about this, especially when I could be showing pictures or that kind of thing. But I need to tell you where I'm at before we get into the live show and we just kind of break everything down. I haven't had sex in two years, and one of those years was 2020, so I haven't had sex in 20 fucking years. Do you understand me? I haven't had sex for as long as I've actually been alive because I didn't have sex before 2020, but I'm going to tell you something just a little personal about me. I saved up a bunch of money, all right? Last year, after I moved, I saved up a bunch of money so that I could get laid for the holidays. And then a freak snowstorm made it not happen. So, <laughs> that's how I ended last year with the knowledge of like, hey man, at least I didn't get laid in this year, in the year of our Lord 2019, but now I get to carefully rest. And go to bed knowing that I'm the Grey Knight. And that unless something happens that makes me have a major psychological setback, because it activates every single part of both my PTSD and my rational mind together at once, also logistically removing the possibility for me to physically come in contact with a woman whom I would find attractive and find me attractive, unless that precise series of events happens, I can go to bed in 2020 knowing that at least my dick will get wet next year. Well, it didn't. We're not done with the year yet, but it's fucking not. It did happen. I'm not going to get laid. And do you know how hard it is to work out when you're convinced for conservatively six, seven weeks out of the year that every time you so much as peek your head out to go to the bathroom, someone has a sniper fucking rifle trained on your path? Do you know how difficult it is to do leg kicks in between that kind of, like, that kind of thinking? Like, that kind of news reading? You're like, okay, what the fuck? All right. Yeah, fucking allergen reaction won't leave zoonotic. And then you do leg kicks while you're also trying to process. You don't. 
You don't know what it's like to have that kind of level of insanity, and all I can say is I'm very grateful. <laughs> very grateful that none of you do. Because living with it, kind of hard. Why are you single? Because the bad news about a disease before it even got bad made me see whiz snipers on other people's roofs. <laughs> it's a great way to be fucking single. It's a great way to live alone. It's a great way to live with cats and dogs because they just think it's a fun game when you suddenly hit the ground. They just come over and lick your face. They just think it's time to appeal for a treats. Hey, you having an episode there, buddy? Thump, 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 thump goes the dog tail. <laughs> I know in the movies, dogs always read somebody having a psychological break. As like, oh, I'll be concerned and I'll get into a ball and I'll be real close by. Here's the thing. A lot of dogs are really dumb. And so sometimes you'll just have a psychotic break and just have like a dog bury its head inside your legs and thighs while it's just all... <laughs> you're just, you're literally trying to keep your, your basic identity wrapped around what you're experiencing. Everybody having a fun show? We're talking about COVID and all that shit. I'm so glad. So, rough year to to try and in any way feel good about your body, I think. And in fact, I intentionally went on my way to try and write some body positivity stuff because I know women can't possibly be feeling good, but they don't have control, especially, you know, if they've got kids and, you know, everything that happened logistically with that. Literally every woman in their lives going back for the last 125 years had a system of childcare that they did not. So the idea that they had extra Hydrox cookies or what have you <laughs> somewhere over the course of this year and then feel bad about it just doesn't really play with me. So this is not one of those things. In fact, one of the best headlines I read of all 2020, one of the headlines that actually got a, gave me a big laugh and smile on a day filled with just always dreary and awful news was, some people are actually getting hotter in the year 2020. Damn them. And I, you know, I legitimately just, just everything about that attitude, I understand 100%, because what I just want to say to you is wherever you're at with your body, with your life, you know, you can at least take, you can at least take some heart in the bragging that I'm about to do, that I'm crazy. And maybe, you know, the thing that helped me get in better shape and feel sexier about myself is just being totally psychotic. You ever think about that? It's a great fucking weight loss program. There's not a lot of super hefty serial killers. Yeah, I saw Mindhunter. I know the guy you're all thinking of. He's kind of an exception. But most of them are pretty fucking wiry. You know what I'm saying? Turns out killing people fills a lot of fucking needs. Turns out, after you've tasted the sweet, sweet nectar of removing a human being through your own power and decision and the rush of all the neurochemicals that go through your body as you do so, the two-for-five combo at Wendy's doesn't seem as appealing. This is actually untrue, and I'm going to talk about Jeffrey Dahmer and McDonald's in a second. <laughs> Christmas show, holiday show, 
Where was I? That's right, I was between not having sex and Jeffrey Dahmer. Sorry, I had to look at my list. Okay, so... <laughs> I write down these notes to myself, and all I can say is I'm really, really glad that there's basically rules in a court of law that if police find your notes to yourself, that that's not really going to apply as a confession. Because my notes to myself really do look like some kind of crazy fucking confession a lot of the time. And then also, I'll be high as a motherfucking kite when I'm making my notes, which is why I'm making them, to make sure that I remember the things and get them done. And so, like, if I'm playing a video game or something, or if I'm reading an article and I think that has a good point, it'll be, my notes for the show will look like COVID, Jeffrey Dahmer, Saltwater, very... Salt water leads to high combustibility. Oh, oh, okay. All right, that's a good note. I found, I found out that salt water is incredibly corrosive and conductive today compared to normal water, and that there's all kinds of scenarios where there's normal water around where if there was salt water, it would absolutely cause a massive fire and or explosion. There's all kinds of situations where if somebody just salinates the water, where the water is not... Just pour salts into water, that it causes a massive, massive, massive amount of destruction. And I wrote down a little notey note about that in the middle of all my other thinking. Because <laughs> that's, that's how... Because you know what? You gotta remember. You gotta remember that salt water can create boom-booms. Why? Don't know. Let's hope I never, ever find out, and neither does anybody else. Let's hope that knowledge just sits in the back of my head for no reason whatsoever. So I understand everybody who's not feeling very good about feeling sexy right now, and I gotta talk about this in what I'm calling the McDonald's Index. The McDonald's Index is something else. It's kind of like a real estate price index. This is not the Big Macs Index. That's actually a different argument, what I'm calling the McDonald's Index. McDonald's is cheap, and it's basically a real estate cartel that, that just flips hamburgers on the side. It's, you know, the whole concern of McDonald's is, is this location good? And then, well, I don't know, can we force somebody to fucking work here for minimum wage? Afterwards, location, 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 location is the McDonald's business plan. And then afterwards, they kind of try and figure everything else out. It's how it works globally. It's how it works in America. It's how it works everywhere. So there's always a McDonald's nearby. And when you go out and do errands, and lots and lots of things are closed down for local regulations or whatever reasons, McDonald's are always open because McDonald's are just not going to let a government tell them what the fuck to do. That's just not how they fucking roll, baby! The clown didn't get where he was because he listened. The clown got where he was because he does. So, there's always McDonald's open, and all year long I've been out, and when I do errands, kind of can't avoid going by a corner with a McDonald's on it. I mean, I guess you could if you planned it out, but you're kind of always going by one. And throughout the year... There just wasn't a lot of traffic at these McDonald's when normally that they would be busy as fuck, right? Normally they'd be pretty busy at the times that I'd be going by them, and they just weren't. And I couldn't help but notice that. And with all the other spending and everything else, I was thinking, there's just no way that people 
don't have enough money for McDonald's. That's the whole business model of McDonald's is they're kind of, they move in. That's what they do. They infest an area and then they extract resources from it. They're very, very, very good at it. Try the fries. And looking at them and, and, and the amount of people in the cars, it's just been very, very, you know, interesting to me to watch it happen bit by bit. But very recently, the last couple of weeks when I've gone out, McDonald's are fucking packed more than I've ever seen them in all of my travels in my life. Not in town, anywhere. Anywhere in the world. And I've seen some busy fucking McDonald's. There's long, long lines. And there is a lot of difficulty getting in there. And so the whole little McDonald's index for me, the whole little rule of thumb that I'm using just to kind of like look around as I get through my world, as I'm trying to manage my mental health and expectations about what comes next. Because that's where this is leading. I'm just kind of trying to have the empathy in the situation. So the index goes up the more cars there are in the waiting line and the longer it takes to serve them. Because I don't know if you know this, but people don't go to McDonald's to wait a long fucking time for the gourmet of it. So if the cars in the back are hanging on, and they don't drive off, they see the slow pace, and they decide to hang on long enough to order. Because these lines are going out well past the ordering booze. That means that they pretty much gotta be there. Not for all of them, obviously. Not any, not like 100% or even 50% or anything like that. But that just means... This is their option. I talked briefly on Twitter about sushi places closing, and I had to go to them at 5 p.m. I had to go to the sushi places and order from the sushi places way earlier than I normally would because they were all closing at 7. And there just comes a certain point where the only thing available to somebody who woke up got roped into an extra shift halfway through at a grocery store or something. You know, they woke up, they come in at 6, the store opens at 7, they get roped into an extra shift, so they get off at 7 p.m., and literally everything else is closed. They are too tired, and they're scheduled to go in the next morning, so they hit McDonald's. What percentage is that true of? I don't know. But it's got to be a significant amount. Why am I talking about this? Well, there's this handsome lad named Jeffrey Dahmer. And Jeffrey Dahmer, a long time ago, had a dream. His dream was much like every man with emotional problems. He wanted to have sex with someone, but he didn't want them to really talk or feel or have a lot of input. He wanted to create a love zombie. He wanted to use chemicals and, I guess, power drills and shit. His plan was very dumb. He was not one of the smartest serial killers. To, to basically turn a man into a zombie, and then he'd have a love slave zombie. But they all died because he doesn't know anything about neurology or being a doctor, any of it whatsoever. That was his plan. Merry fucking Christmas. And the reason why... I think about the McDonald's difference and Jeffrey Dahmer is because Jeffrey Dahmer loved McDonald's. He couldn't stop saying the praises of it, but he never complimented the food. 
Jeffrey Dahmer, human cannibal, no, noted, noted man who's had long pig, long pig expert Jeffrey Dahmer, there's the joke, knew that McDonald's was just the greatest. And it was for a simple reason. At the end of the day, he was too tired to cook. There was one nearby, and the hamburger was cheap. So he loved it, and he used that word, love. Love McDonald's. And he would talk about it. There's, on, there's videotape of him saying it with his family before he gets arrested. Like, how much he likes McDonald's instead of, like, you know, thinking about, like, going to Thanksgiving and shit like Like, oh, man, why would you do Thanksgiving dinner? You could just go to McDonald's. Even though the food's not very good, I love it, says Jeffrey Dahmer. So whenever I go to McDonald's and get it, I think of Jeffrey Dahmer saying that. I think about the person that I'm I'm being when I choose that because I know that Jeffrey Dahmer is correct. <laughs> it's not like a serial killer was just like it's not like Jeffrey Dahmer's just all like fuck yeah I love Chick Fil A the sandwich is delicious that would give me no pause whatsoever whatsoever a serial killer says food's delicious that I eat no pause would you. Would you find out, if you found out that Son of Sam, after every single murder, was like, I wouldn't do it if they didn't sell chocolate bars. Would you in any way think about giving up chocolate bars for yourself or society? Fuck no! Don't overthink it, man. Don't go crazy with it. But I just, in the context of Jeffrey Dahmer said it like that, I really, really, really think it's valuable when people are around the block from McDonald's. That's where I'm at. Everywhere I go, I see another line where there wasn't one, or I see a light that's turned off where there was a light on. That's everywhere I go, and I don't go much these places these days. And that's where I want to come back in and tell you about tomorrow. And especially tell you about it if you're one of the people who feels like this is hopeless, this hurts, I feel like I can't do anything right or to change it or good. If especially those are the people I want to speak to the most in my audience. I'm really fucking hot. I'm sorry, does that sound like a subject change? But really, I feel really fucking hot. And I'm a basket case. I spent weeks of this year lying on the floor, looking at the ceiling, and saying to myself, there's literally no purpose to me. I literally can change nothing. I told people about COVID and they laughed in my fucking face. And then when it got worse, they all pretended that I didn't tell them. And then when it got worse, they all started just saying nonsense, by and large, because that made them feel better than the facts. And literally my entire life and everything that I could do with my mind is wasted in this world. I spent weeks of this year saying that and believing it. And I'm going to be real honest with you before I hit the rocket booster and we kind of take this to a higher plane. I still kind of do. 
I mean, I don't think it in such harsh terms, but the rational part of my mind says that there's absolutely nothing that anyone, any person can do to stop this crazy train. There hasn't been all year, not since a certain point, I realized. <clears throat> Don't worry, I'm going to bring it home. So even somebody who had that level of apathy and just navel-gazing and stuck up with their own shit, even that person believes that you need to hang on and you need to keep going and that things really well improve, really well improve from here. I don't know how, to be perfectly honest with you, but they really well. And let me give you the personal example. How is all of the world going to get better from here when I think there's actually going to, it's going to get, you know, a little harder for a bit, at least? I don't have the direct path forward, and I can't tell it to you. But in the exact same way that I kind of told you that this disease was coming and it was going to be big and bad and people were underestimating it like motherfuckers and, and what have you. In the same way that I did see that coming and I did my best to sort of wave my, my, my flag of attention at it, allow me to tell you that the person that that weighed on so heavily and who got psychologically damaged by it refused to give up. There's a lot more and worse that happened in my personal year that I'm not going to talk about here or anything else. And I still did my sit-ups. It's a funny thing. The weight of this world pushed me down onto the ground so that I stared at the ceiling. I literally did not have the energy to do anything other than listen to music, vape, THC, and stare at a popcorn ceiling's texture. But after a while of that, I got bored, and I did some sit-ups in between. Because, I mean, I'm already down there, and I'm already despairing. You know what else is miserable? Crunches. Bicycle crunches, especially. I mean... It was miserable, and I'm down there. Cat's asleep, right next to me. If I exercise now, I'll piss the cat off. Now it's a two for one. Now it's two benefits for one action. Things are looking up. With all the psychological damage and all of the problems and all the isolation, oh, the isolation was so damaging to my psychology, to my growth, to my attempts this year. My isolation did me no good. In the past it has, but in this year it hurt me and it deranged me and it made me worse. And still, I'm here to say to you, whatever bad shellacking comes ahead, if you see it and you feel it and you think it's coming, even if we all hope it's not, <clears throat> you can. 
I don't know what your sit-up is. I don't know what your next step is. I don't know what your one little thing that you can do for you is. I don't want you to feel bad if you overate or you didn't exercise or you slid backwards or you, or you, or you, or you, or you. Because everyone's a little frustrated, anyone who's made any kind of progress this last year. Everyone's frustrated, anyone who's keeping their head above the water. And I only did it because of you, Lady of the Night. Random Lady of the Night. Your body, your mind, your psychology, I don't know where you're at. Financially speaking, things are terrifying out there. Utterly, utterly, utterly so scary. And if you have a pit in your stomach, if you have a doubt about the future, if you have a nagging whisper in the back of your head that just won't let go, I just want to say, I am so sorry. I empathize. I understand exactly what all of those are like. And I hope one day that you don't. One day soon, as we approach the holiday season and we really try and make everything through, that you feel that weight lifted. And I'm here to encourage you. While I don't know how things will get better for everyone, while I don't know your situation at all, I know that you can find a way to find peace with it. Even if you have to go and buy extra McDonald's in the middle of a pandemic because you literally cannot take it anymore and you need somebody else to make you something eat, or else you'll lose your mind, even if you don't like it that much. There is absolutely nothing wrong with it or you. I am so, 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 so sorry because there's going to be a lot more finger pointing and a lot more elbows thrown from here no matter what. I can promise you that. But I can also promise while the melee continues, while the big old brawl goes on around us and people point fingers and accuse, I may even be one of them from time to time, you just holding on is doing fine. You just getting by is just okay. You not doing as well as you used to doesn't say anything bad about you. And goddamn anybody who's getting hotter like me. Because maybe one day you will decide in your own way, you know what? Fuck this fucking year of 2020. I'm fucking hot. I don't really need to eat that because I'm fucking hot. I don't really need to feel bad about that news story because I'm fucking hot. I don't need to feel bad about not getting laid because I'm fucking hot, so I fucking well eventually. I just have to wait it out. Down, boy! Down! One more time. I know. I I go on too long. I, I circle back. But it's a long, rambly podcast. Let me ramble just a little bit more on it. You... You'll get off the floor if that's where you're at. Eventually. You will figure out how to unpin yourself from where you're pinned down. Eventually. I don't have answers for you. I don't know your situation. But I ask you to keep, in any way that you can, 
investing in the person that you are and the person that you want to be. However, wherever. Okay? Keep going for me, holiday season. I promise we'll get more cheerful from here. I just wanted to say a very, very serious message at the beginning of this. Don't worry. For anybody out there who says we're going to get really soft and really easy from here and it's all going to be nice, I promise sometime like end of January, maybe middle of February, I'm going to have a show where I just absolutely crush everyone's spirit 100%. I'm just trying to get you through the holidays in one piece, and then I'm going to shatter your goddamn psyches and spirits. It's basically going to be my... Ch- <laughs> Oh, that was such a dark joke. It's basically going to be like 2020 summed up in a single episode. It's going to be like my childhood, the first five years, abridged, but only the emotional feelings of it, and you'll feel it all. No, I just, I, I need you all to get through 2020. I need you all to make it into 2021, saying you're going to make it through 2021. And then when I get you all there... When I get you all there, then I'll start talking about all your friends who have committed suicide. Then I'll do it. Once I get you all there, once I get you all out of the line of the whole, like, I don't know, maybe I'll kill myself. Once I get you out of that, I'll be like, great. Okay, you're not killing yourself anymore? Great. Okay. So we need to talk about everybody's killing themselves. Don't worry, we're getting through the holidays first. Happy holidays, Jeffrey Dahmer, suicide. I told you, it's not on the list. Maybe I should have gone with homeless people's stories and just exploited them for income. Going going back, that was the original plan. I should have... <laughs> telling, telling stories about homeless people in 2020 and then going back to it. No? All right. Damn, tough crowd tonight. <laughs> this is usually where I can get a laugh or something that I know that I'm not totally up the riverbank. But I guess that I was. I'm sorry. What was I supposed to... Was I supposed to talk more about being hot? Because basically it just comes down to oatmeal smoothies. Have I told you all about oatmeal smoothies on the podcast? Have I explained oatmeal smoothies? Have I explained that this is now who I am as a person? That I wake out of bed and I just start guzzling fucking oatmeal? Drinking oatmeal? No? I've discovered that if you soak oatmeal overnight, you don't have to cook it. It's called cold oats or overnight oats, depending on the recipe that you read. And I gotta just say, as somebody who's incredibly lazy, that appealed to me so much that I can't explain it. Like a lot of people say like, oh, you have to do that ahead of time, but that is no tax to me whatsoever. It's no tax to me whatsoever. Doing something ahead of time, so long as I don't actually have to fucking work at it, is the greatest thing in the world to me. If if you say, hey, you press that button, and three days from now you're going to have hot wings, somebody else goes, ah, I want hot wings now. I pressed the button, but now I want hot wings. I understand that, but they live on a totally different cognitive level than me, where I press that button and then I'm like, because every moment of the next 72 hours, I'm a little bit closer to the hot wings that I don't have to do anything for. You understand? It's, it's like, oh, fuck yes, I did it. 
The way that other people feel about, like, ordering something off Amazon, I feel about, like, setting something, and I'm like, oh, motherfucker, in 30 days, that's gonna be delicious. Ugh. 30 days since I don't have to check back, I just have to wait for my fucking phone to go like, hey, man, open that thing, you've got soy sauce. I'm like, right! I'm so excited. I love it. I love that delayed gratification. Actually standing over a saucepan after waking up and stirring fucking nut milk and shit, getting it to the right temperature, even on a gas stove, and then, fuck you. What are you talking about? How can anybody want to do that? How can anybody want to do that? Absolutely not. So I found out that you can just kind of quote-unquote cook oats by just soaking them in nut milk. Put them in the fridge, put them in a little airtight gender, uh, gender, whoops, airtight container, Huh. We'll have to re-examine that one later. Put them in a little airtight container, and then you've got cold oats. You can just eat them with a spoon, or, because I am super fucking lazy, and I just want my bachelor mush, what I do is I blend it up, put it in a little ninja thing, and I just go ahead and push that down, and then I just wake up while I feed the cat, and then I just slurp oatmeal. And then that's breakfast and I don't eat anything for six hours. Now, that wasn't enough. So then I learned that I had to go ahead and start pouring in chia seeds. And if you pour chia seeds into nut milk and you leave them uh, sit overnight, they jump up to literally over ten times their size, like those stupid dinosaur sponges that never worked. They literally get ten times their size, and then they get all nice and mushy, and they give you all these great nutrients. And so now, every single day is just oatmeal, chia seeds, and nut milk for breakfast. Just slurp it down. Bachelor chow. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> and because of this, I, I legitimately have the greatest ass ever in the history of mankind. Now, that doesn't mean I have the sexiest ass, or the nicest looking, or the shapeliest ass of all time, but my ass is just fantastic, like, it just kind of appears. I, it's kind of like a Pixar mom scenario right now, I'm still working on it so I can get as photogenic as possible, but basically, it looks like, you know, if you, you know a kid who's like really artistic at drawing and tracing and shading at like age 10 and they're all like, okay, I'm going to become an artist. And then they start drawing with like perspectives and shit and they like really start doing perspectives, but they just start at that. So it sucks. So like the perspective will be a face, but it'll be like 20% nose and the kid's just like, you know, it looks just like crazy and distorted. They just don't have it yet. They haven't learned the skills of perspective and what have you. My ass is one of those drawings, because from the front, I'm just kind of there, and then my ass, like, literally horizontally planes like a triangle out from the side, and then then becomes round cheeks. But it's square. There's a rough, like, side angle, because you know, there's just too much tissue to just go straight to the round. It's like a, it's like a fuselage on an airplane. It's like, oh no, we need to make that longer so we can get the wingspan on there. It's just, there's a big straight line, and then ass. And this is because I'm losing weight, and of course doing all the squats and floor exercises and, and home weights and shit. Uh, but the oatmeal smoothie has been integral in that, because it's oatmeal, and nuts, and seeds. 
Every every time I slurp that bad boy down, not only do I feel good, but it's just vegan. It's just vegan bullshit. It's the greatest. It's so good for you. Breakfast is a solved state. I used to wake up and make bacon because I had to force myself to eat breakfast. I'm like, well, I might as well eat bacon. So I read America's Test Fucking Kitchen and the eight different ways they fucking made bacon so that I could find the easiest way to make bacon so I could make bacon for breakfast. The easiest way is with a wire rack in 22 minutes. Fuck that shit oatmeal. <laughs> wire racks. Wire racks are the easiest? No. You have to scrub them right after you use them. Right after. Every time. That's nothing easy about that. Oh, it takes 30 seconds. I know that. I know that. Intellectually speaking, I know that. Those 30 seconds, I would rather be in prison for a year. At least give me a back, at least give me a backstory. No, uh You don't understand, she was talking shit to my girlfriend. No! At least then I would feel righteous. I feel like, oh, uh, I, I, I'm a white guy. Of course I only get one year for fucking murder. I kill you in a bar with this voice? How tall I am? Come on. I might not even send me in. <laughs> it's a really, really sympathetic short story, too. It's a story about how I killed someone at a bar because there was a lot of screaming and it was agitating my girlfriend. And, of course, you know, first-time offender, they let me off. The prosecution kept bringing up, but the victim was his girlfriend. She was the one screaming. But, you know, defense lawyers, they're pretty good these days. So, I'm pretty good. This is now because... <laughs> Hide the notes! Ah, shit. Did I put strangulation in my notes somewhere? Jeffrey Dahmer. Son of Sam. No, I think we're good. I think we're good. I think we're good. Oh! Oh! I did have a note here that I did skip over. Uh, I, it's just entitled, Shia LaBeouf, whoopsie. That's the whole note. I told you I write these to myself very high. So the whole note is Shia LaBeouf, whoopsie. And uh, I guess the whole, re the whole reason I wrote that note to myself before I move on into the actual request. Why did I write Shia LaBeouf, whoopsie? I just said, I just, I'm recording the show live on the 11th. I just said on like the 10th or the 9th that Shia LaBeouf was weird, but not that bad. And then on the 11th, a major fucking news story drops that Shia LaBeouf's girlfriend is suing him for being the most abusive piece of shit. Like, just straight up being an abusive monster. I'm like, boy, I cannot find water falling out of boat in 2020, can I? Boy, I just, between Herman Cain dying and this happening, I just really need to stop commenting on celebrity names, huh? Remember when I said Taylor Swift was bad for America? <laughs> I need to stop. Oh, someone just found out that Herman Cain died <laughs> in chat. Yeah, Herman Cain died right after I talked about him on the podcast. Like, right after I talked about him on the podcast, for the first time in a decade he became relevant, and then he died. I couldn't believe that shit. I really, truly could not believe it. I talk about Herman Cain twice in a podcast, then he became relevant, then he died, then he kept fucking tweeting. That's, that was, that's my 2020 relationship with Herman Cain. I invoked him. I summoned him back into the world of politics. 
That killed him at a convention, and he's still tweeting about it, and he will be into next year, even though he's dead. That is absolutely all true. <laughs> this that is a hundred percent the actual order of <laughs> the actual order of events. <laughs> you can see why I was on the floor for a while. I I was really fucking sending people to the goddamn cornfield like that Twilight Zone episode, but uh, still, I can't make any good changes happen. <laughs> oh, holiday show, Shia LaBeouf, oopsie. I think that's going to have to be the title unless Ali comes up with a way fucking better one. <laughs> Find the notes indeed. <laughs> Federal prosecutor looks it all over. Shia LaBeouf. Do you think he was an accomplice? <laughs> the oopsie admits. The oopsie. The oopsie imparts guilt, clearly. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to go sue Georgia so that they can't have votes. This is the law in America. (laughs) This is a printing office. Crossroads of civilization, a refuge of all the arts against the ravages of time. Armory of fearless truth against whispering rumor. Incessant trumpet of trade from the place words may fly abroad, not to perish on waves of sound, not to vary with the writer's hand, but fixed in time, having been verified in proof. Friend, you stand on sacred ground. This is a printing office. This is a printing office by Beatrice Ward, W-A-R-D-E, probably Ward, Ward with an E on the end. Whatever happens with us, your body will haunt mine, tender, delicate, your lovemaking, like the half-curled frond of the fiddlehead ferns and forests just washed by the sun, your traveled Generous thighs, between which my whole face has come and come. The innocence of wisdom, of the place my tongue has found there, the live touch, the live, insatiate dance of your nipples in my mouth, your touch on me, firm, protective, searching me out, your strong tongue and slender fingers reaching where I have been waiting years for you. In my rose-wet cave, whatever happens, this is. Untitled. Ooh, I will save that one for... Last, your pain is breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding, even as the stone of the fruit must break, that its heart may stand in the sun, so must 
your pain. And could you keep your heart in wonder at the daily miracles of your life, your pain would not seem less wondrous than your joy, and you would accept the seasons of your heart, even as you always accepted the seasons that pass over your fields, and you would watch with serenity through the winters of your grief. Much of your pain is self-chosen. It is the bitter potion by which the physician within you heals your sick self. Therefore, trust the physician. Drink his remedy in silence and tranquility, for his hand, though heavy and hard, is guided by the tender hand of the unseen. And the cup he brings, though it burn your lips, has been fashioned of the clay which the potter has moistened with his own sacred tears. <clears throat> On Pain, Khalil Gibran, G-I-B-R-A-N. Speak to me the soft of science. Sing softly the lyrics of this universe, the infinite stars, the lives spinning around them. Tell me of the ratios, the theories, the probabilities stacked against us, finding home in one another. I will smile and will nod over coffee cups, the steam lifting from them, and listen to that melody. Sing me this song, but know this, and hold your chest when dark nights come and stars forget to shine that they were born for. To me... The universe is you, and despite the infinite algorithms that separated us, I found you, and you, me, and no definition of gravity will ever make more sense. Typewriter Series, number 1868, Tyler Knott Gregson. The snow has forgotten how to stop. It falls, stuttering, at the glass, a silk windstock of snow blowing under the porch light, tangled trees which bend like old women snarled in their own knitting. Snow drifts up to the step of the door still in a pointillist's blur, the wedding, a form of motion, shaping itself to the wish of an object it touches. Chairs become laps of snow, and the moon could be breaking apart and falling over the eaves over the roof of a white bear. Oh, that was gorgeous. Blizzard. Linda Pastan. P-A-S-T-A-N. That was gorgeous. Wow. Oh, I really like that one. Beautiful, beautiful imagery. <clears throat> in winter, all the singing is in the tops of the trees, where the wind bird with its wide eyes shoves and pushes among the branches. Like any of us, he wants to go to sleep, but he is restless. He has an idea, and slowly it unfolds from under his beating wings as long as he stays awake, but his big, round music, after all, is too breathy to last. So, it's over. In the pine crown he makes his nest, he's done all he can. I don't know the name of this bird. I only imagine his glittering beak tucked in a white wing, while the clouds which he summoned from the north, which he has taught to be mild and silent, thicken 
and begin to fall into the world below like stars or the feathers of some unimaginable bird that loves us, that is asleep now and silent, that has turned itself into snow. White Eyes by Mary Oliver I think this is our last poem. So thank you to everybody who requested a poem for this welcome back little holiday show, keeping me away from talking only about murder and destruction. <clears throat> Despite my best efforts. Just want to say for the record, before I begin that one, I'm continuing a fine Christmas tradition up until fairly recently in Christmas tradition, up until the boomer period, really. It was tradition pretty much always to tell ghost stories, bloody awful ghost stories around Christmas. There's a lot of murder classic ghost Christmas stories all throughout the 17 and 1800s. And uh, me talking about, you know, Dick Cheney and Jeffrey Dahmer and other scary little things. I'm just saying, I'm just keeping with tradition. <laughs> yeah, they really fucking, they really, another time maybe, another Christmas when daddy's got more energy to yell about the system, daddy will talk about how they realized on Madison Avenue that Christmas would be a lot better if it was just for kids, sales-wise, and uh, by God, that's where it went. <laughs> Let's just say that Evander Scrooge isn't the only dude dealing with, like, fucking corpses on goddamn Christmas. There should be so many more. I am a traditional guy. I want to put you all into chains and use you for money and sex. What could be more traditional than that? Have you read the Bible? Hey, gay men who are outside my house and have torches and swords. As father of the year, I offer up all my daughters to you. No? Well, damn. Hmm. <sighs> Anyways, my friend just got back from going up on a hill with his son and a dagger. What were we talking about again? One last poem. Here we go. <clears throat> Everyone who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but for the Grinch, who just lived north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now please, don't ask why. No one knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas hating the Who's. Staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown at the warm lighted windows below in their town. For he knew every who down in Whoville beneath was busy now hanging a mistletoe wreath. Was busy now, and they're hanging their stockings, he snarled with a sneer. Tomorrow is Christmas. It's practically here. 
Then he growled with his Grinch fingers, nervously drumming, I must find some way to stop Christmas from coming. For tomorrow he knew all the girls and boys would wake bright and early and rush for their toys. And then, oh, the noise! Oh, the noise! Noise, noise, noise. There's one thing he hated. The noise. The noise, noise, noise. Then the Who's, young and old, would sit down to feast. And then they'd feast. Then they'd feast. Then they'd feast. Feast, feast, feast. They would feast on who pudding and rare who roast beast, and then something the Grinch couldn't stand in the least. And then, then something he liked least of all: the who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, would stand close together with the Christmas bells ringing. They'd stand hand in hand. The Who's would start singing, and they'd sing, and they'd sing, and they'd sing, sing, sing. The more the Grinch thought of this, the more the Who Christmas sing, the more the Grinch thought, I must stop this whole thing. Why, for fifty-three years I've put up with it now. I must stop this Christmas. But how? Then he got an idea. An awful idea. The Grinch got a wonderful, awful idea. I know just what to do. The Grinch laughed in his throat, and then he made a quick Santa Claus hat and a coat. He chuckled and clucked, what a great Grinchy trick, with this coat and this hat. I'll look just like Grained Nick. All I need is reindeer, and the Grinch looked around, but since reindeer are scarce, there was none to be found. Did that stop the old Grinch? No, the Grinch simply said, if I can't find a reindeer. I'll make one instead. So he called his dog Max, then he took some red thread, and he tied a big horn on the top of his head. Then he loaded some bags and some old empty sacks, and a ransackle sleigh, and he hitched up old Max. Then the Grinch said, Giddy up! And the sleigh started down towards the homes where the Who's lay the Who's snoozed around. All the windows were dark. Quiet snow filled the air. All the Who's were all dreaming sweet dreams without care. When he came to the first little house in the square. This is stop number one, the old Grinchy Claws hissed. And he climbed on the roof, empty bag in his fist. Then he slid down the chimney, a rather tight pinch. But if Santa could do it, then so could the Grinch. He got stuck only once for a moment or true. Then he stuck his head out of the fireplace flue. Where the little who stockings all hung in a row. These stockings, he grinned are the first thing to go. Then he slithered and slung with a smile most unpleasant. Around the whole room, he took every present. Pop guns and bicycles, roller skates, drums, checkerboards, tricycles, popcorn, and plums. Then he stuffed them in bags, and the Grinch very nimbly stuffed all the bags one by one up the chimney. Then he slunk to the icebox, then he took the Who's feast, he took the Who pudding, and he took the roast beast. He cleaned out the icebox as quick as a flash. Why, that old Grinch even took the whole loose can of Who hash. Then he stuffed all the food in the chimney with glee, and now, grinned the Grinch, I will stuff up the tree. And the Grinch grabbed the tree, and he started to shove, when he heard a small sound, like the coo 
of a dove. He turned around fast, and when he saw a small who, little Cindy Lou who, who was no more than two. The Grinch had been caught by this tiny who daughter who got out of bed for a cup of cold water. She started at the Grinch, and she said, Santa Claus, why? Why are you taking our Christmas tree? Why? But you know that old Grinch was so smart and so slick. He thought up a lie, and he thought it up quick. Why, my sweet little tot, said the fake Santa Claus as he lied. There's a light on this tree that won't light on one side. So I'm taking it home to my workshop, my dear. I'll fix it up there, and I'll bring it right back here. And his fib fooled the child, and then he patted her head, and he got her a drink, and he sent her to bed. And when Lindy Suhu went back to bed with a cup, he went to the chimney, and he stuffed the tree up. Then the last thing he took was the log for the fire, and he went up the chimney himself, the old liar. Then the walls he left nothing but hooks and some wire, and one speck of food that was left in the house was a crumb that was too small, even for a mouse. Then he did the same thing to the other Who's houses, leaving crumbs much too small for all the other Who's mouses. It was a quarter past, and all the Who's still in bed, all the Who's still a snooze, while he packed up his sled, packed all up the presents, the ribbons, the wrappings, the tags, the tinsels, the trimmings, the trappings. Three thousand feet up on the side of Mount Crumpet, he rode with his log to the tip-top to dot-dop it. Poo-poos to the Who's was his grin chinching humming. They're finding out now, no Christmas is coming. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. The mouths will hang open a minute or two. And then the Who's down in Hoover will all cry, boo-hoo. That's a noise, grinned the Grinch, that I simply must hear. And so he paused in the Grinch put his hand to his ear, and all he did hear was a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad. Why, this sounded very merry. It couldn't be so, but it was merry, very he started down at Whoville, the Grinch popped his eyes, then he shook, and what he saw was a shocking surprise. Every Who down at Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing, without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming, it came! Somehow or other, it came just the same, and the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could this be so? It came without ribbons? It came without tags? It came without packages or boxes or bags? He puzzled three hours, till the puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he'd never thought before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, 
means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three times that day. And the minute his heart didn't feel quite right, he whizzed his load through the bright morning light, and he brought back all the toys and the food for the feast. And he himself, the Grinch, carved up the roast beast. I actually really like Dr. Seuss as a human being because he was extremely complicated. Dr. Seuss was incredibly racist and incredibly anti-Nazi. Dr. Seuss hated children and became a celebrated children's author intentionally and of his own volition. Dr. Seuss hated governments and states and yet would support their efforts in global conflicts and may even have aided them along with his friend Roland Dahl. So that dude really had a lot going on in his head, and I just have to say I respect it. Like, I really do. I don't know what else to say about somebody who has, like, that complicated of a relationship with the world, but that's still how they navigate it. Uh, very clever. It's always nice seeing the contrast. It's always cute. Heart's two sizes too small, and then it grew three sizes, so now his heart's too big. It's really a shame for the Grinch, especially since he's at least 53. <laughs> Roald Dahl, really? Was he a spy? Absolutely. If you look up Roald Dahl seducing women World War II, you will find out that the British government asked Roald Dahl to seduce German women to help with the effort of World War II. It's confirmed historical record. I know it sounds like bullshit, but... Children's authors, Roald Dahl, uh, Dr. Seuss, may, I'm, Dr. Seuss isn't as confirmed, uh, but there's a couple of them. Uh, it's a funny thing when 20% of your GDP, 20 to 30% of your GDP is involved in a war effort, when you're literally spending all of your money fighting a war, apparently what that means is lots of people get roped into the war effort. One, one way or another, with that much expenditure and outrage, eventually a lot of people are just like, have a story like, yeah, 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 my grandpa worked for, my grandpa worked for the government in World War II. They needed him to be on, the, to, to make extra netting for planes on bombers, so he was up with the air crew in the air, even though he wasn't a pilot. A lot of stories like that. That if you dig into it in World War II, it's like, huh, turns out when you have agrarian societies that you just need to immediately turn into war machines, there's a lot of, like, yeah, my uncle was 15, he signed up, they didn't say anything because they needed him and he was really tall for his age. I mean, like, 5'3", he was great. Y'all seen Captain America? No? You got me going on Roald Dahl. I absolutely love that because I also want a government to come to me and say, hey, there's a lot of bored women over there. Do you think you can help us uncover secrets for the good of the government if you go and talk to them with your fucking voice? Just don't say anything too stupid. We've read your notes. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
I can't believe I got that back. That's almost like I planned that shit out. That's the third notes references this fucking this fucking podcast. It's really almost like a plan out, but I swear to you, it goddamn wasn't. That's just some kismet for you. Ah, uh, all right. <clears throat> we got a couple more requests. Thank you very much for coming. There's gonna be a patron show on the 18th. Uh, for as little as a dollar, you can become a patron, get access to that show, and other things. You can find out more on Patreon slash Real Grey Knight. Talking about everybody's poor, let me try and shake some money out of you. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> I will cover you with love the next time I see you, with caresses, with ecstasy. I want to gorge you with all the joys of the flesh so that you faint. I. I want you to be amazed by me and to confess to yourself that you had never even dreamed of such transports. When you are old, I want you to realize those few hours. I want your dry bones to quiver with joy when you think of them. Love Letter Gustave Falbert to Louise Collet F-A-U-B-E-R-T C-O-L-E-T. I'm afraid I don't know either of those persons. Perhaps I'm revealing my ignorance. Uh, I'm sorry, I... I don't know. Whoever said, I received your gift, I'm afraid I, I don't know what this is enough to read it, just from looking it over. Not, not, nothing bad. I just, I'm not quite sure what it is. <clears throat> okay. Nothing could have given me greater pleasure than to get news of you. The prospect of remaining two months without hearing about you had been extremely disagreeable to me. That is to say, your little note was more than welcome. I hope you are laying up a stock of good air and that you will come back to us in October. As for me, I think I shall not go anywhere. I shall stay in the country where I spend the whole day in front of my open window or in the garden. We have promised each other, haven't we, to be at least great friends. If you will only not change your mind. There are no promises that are binding. Such things cannot be ordered at will. It would be a fine thing, just the same, in which I hardly dare to believe, to pass our lives near each other, hypnotized by our dreams, your patriotic dream, our humanitarian dream, and our scientific dream. Of all those dreams, the last is, I believe, the only legitimate one. I mean by that that we are powerless to change the social order, and even if we were not, we should not know what to do. In taking action, in no matter what direction, we should never be so sure of not doing more harm than good by retarding some inevitable evolution. From the scientific point of view, on the contrary, we may hope to do something. The ground is salt is solider here, and any discovery that we make, however small, will remain acquired knowledge. See how it works out. It is agreed that we shall be great friends, but if you shall leave France in a year, it would be an altogether too platonic friendship, that of two creatures who would never see each other again. Wouldn't it be better for you to stay with me? I know that this question angers you, and that you don't want to speak of it again, 
and then, too, I feel so thoroughly unworthy from you of every point of view. I thought of asking your permission to meet you by chance in Froberg, but you are staying there, unless I am mistaken, only one day. And on that one day you will, of course, belong to our friends, the Kowaleskis. Believe me, you're very devoted. Pierre Curie Love letter from Pierre Curie to Marie Curie, the woman who would become Marie Curie. Curie. Ha! Huh. Looks like the letter worked. Looks like she wasn't as mad as you as you thought, motherfucker. Good job. Good job. <clears throat> We've got a piece of porn. You guys like it when I read porn, right? One last time, if you're welcoming back, there's no better way to say that you missed the live shows or anything less else to go ahead, rate, subscribe, follow, tell your friends about the podcast and all the rest. It means the absolute world to me. I'll be my last pitch, but really, I'm not so great at the calls to action before we go ahead and do the fade out of the show. So from the bottom of my heart, everybody who did do it this week, everybody who does it in December, there is no better way to tell me that you miss me, that you miss the podcast, and that you want uh, the work just to continue on with all the same regularity and everything else that you've come to expect. Thank you very, 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 very much. I do appreciate you being a fan more than I can say. Happy holiday season. Let's read some smut. <clears throat> Carter, his voice boomed, and Caitlin Carter grimaced. Her boss had been giving her special attention lately. It was good for her career, but it was hard to listen to him talk for too long. He could talk about himself for hours if you didn't stop him, and he got angry if you stopped him. Yes, sir? She spun around in the chair to face him. Meet me in my office. I've got news for you, he said, and he chuckled as he walked away, hooking his thumbs behind his suspenders. She closed out the files on her computer and stood up with a little sigh. He had just, she had just sat down behind the large oak desk when she entered the room. Have a seat, Carter. He held out one hand and gestured to the chair in front of his desk. What's the news, sir? She asked, pulling down the edges of her blouse as she sat. Well, the first thing's that we will have to go. No more calling me, sir, he bellowed, thumping one hand on the desk. From now on, you'll call me George. Okay. George, might I ask why the change? I'm promoting you, he said with a grin. That stuck-up Jerry thinks he's getting this promotion, but I don't want him. I want you. You're confident, competent, and you get things done. It's the kind of person I want running my company. In fact, it's the kind of person I want as a partner. Partner? Her eyebrow rose. You heard me. I want you to be my partner. I'm giving you half my company. That's awesome, sir. I mean, George. He nodded. I'm getting too old to do this on my own. What do you say? Be my partner? Okay, she better be dreaming. This better be bad smut, or she better be dreaming. <laughs> Absolutely, she answered. I would be honored. Good. 
Now, if you don't have plans tonight, I'd like you to come over to my place for a celebratory dinner. I'll introduce you to my family and some of our top shareholders. I can't think... This is a publicly... Tra- this is a privately traded company? I can't think of a better way to get you settled in. There's equity? They've got fucking... They've got a division of them? Holy shit. Yes! Oh my god! This woman's rich! That means that there's investors who have put money in and they have, you know, an expectation of profit down the road. So, yeah, 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 yeah. This woman basically just got offered like a football team, essentially, is where, she, I mean, like, if there's shareholders, plural. Yeah, generally speaking. So here we go. See, but he's coming, she's coming over to meet the family. If she was just coming over for dinner, I agree, he'd be going to fuck her. But it can't be going there. And if it is, holy shit, here we go. Tell him to watch his debt, but I'll make him your personal assistant. If he wants to be in charge of something so badly, he can be in charge of your morning coffee. Now get out. I've got work to do. He waved her away, like like equals do. Oh, and wear something formal tonight, he yelled as she left. Maybe he wasn't so bad after all. Here we go. The night the car arrived exactly on time, she had pulled her hair up in a tight bun and put on a form-fitting black dress without jewelry or adornment, the sort of thing he never was her style. She clacked down the pavement steps in her stiletto heels and slid to the backseat of the car. You're right on time. She remarked to the driver, and he smiled. She expected an older gentleman, but she was surprised to see that the driver was a young man, maybe a few years younger than her. His white teeth shone in the darkness as he smiled. Oh. Oh. Okay. (laughs) What's your name? She asked, leaning forward to talk to him. Jason. He answered, putting the car in drive. You seem a little young to be a chauffeur, she noted, leaning her chin against the seat in front of her. You seem a little young to be interested in Mr. Nesbitt. He shrugged. Jason, the confidence most chauffeur I've ever seen in the fucking universe. (laughs) We have a business relationship, she said sternly. I'm sure that this promotion has nothing to do with your beauty, he said with a wry smile, meaning her eyes in the rearview mirror. Oh, Jason's got the, Jason's got the skinny. She bit her lip to resist smiling. Huh, that is not the emotion I would be experiencing if I were her. It was always nice to be complimented, but this whole situation was inappropriate. (laughs) I think it would be best if you focused on your job. And I focused on mine. She said, her tone severe, and leaned back into her seat. As you wish, he said. She forced herself to ignore him for the rest of the drive. Boy, I can't tell what sex is possibly going to be popping up from here. Everyone is just kicking each other right in the crotch, left and right. Let's see what's going to fucking happen. He dropped her off in front of their boss's home and drove off somewhere to park the car. She inhaled when she saw the place. She knew that he was rich, but she hadn't expected his house to be so extravagant. She was suddenly grateful that she had chosen a formal dress. The door opened as she mounted the front steps and was welcomed by a butler who ushered into the front room. He took her coat, offered her a drink, and disappeared in a whirlwind of efficiency. 
Only moments later, her boss, now partner, appeared and put one arm around her shoulder, leading her into the dining room. Gentlemen, he announced to the other men at the lodge table, I'd like to introduce you to my new business partner and future of Nesbitt Incorporated, Caitlin Carter. The men stood, shook her hand, and sat down. <laughs> that sounds like a Japanese employee training video. <laughs> he went around the table and introduced the vendor, unaware that she already knew their names. They were the shareholders in her company. Of course she knew who they were, but she smiled politely and sipped her wine. Who is that seat for? She asked, pointing to the empty place at the table. My son, George grumbled. Late, as you... All right, this has to be it. This has to be it. <laughs> Jason's the son, and they're going to fuck. That has to be it. That has to be it. They're not going to introduce somebody else after all the Jasonizing. He owns a rather large share in the company as well, so I thought it'd be fitting for him to be here at a shareholders meeting. I added that last part. I agree. The door... Oh, sorry. I agree. The door's opened. And his son strode into the room with a broad grin. She tried to hide her shock. It was Jason. The driver from earlier was the guy who was in the room now. He winked at her before taking his place across from her at the table. <laughs> About time you got here, George grumbled and then launched into a prepared speech about the company and her future. It was all very trite, and she found it hard to concentrate. Jason watched her, unabashed, and suddenly she was self-conscious. At first she met his gaze, refusing to back down or be intimidated like a monkey. But he only smiled, looking deeper into her eyes, embarrassed. She finally looked away at her plate, at George, at the ceiling, anywhere but the man staring directly at her. Jason, my boy, why don't you take Carter on a tour of the grounds? Dessert isn't quite ready yet, and I'm sure she would prefer your company over the rest of us stuffy old men. He laughed heartily, and suddenly Jason was at her side, pulling her to her feet. This way, he directed softly, and her breath caught. Why was she having such an intense reaction to him? He was handsome. But there was a thousand handsome men in this city. <laughs> Only one thousand, though. Only one thousand hotties. I've seen that Katherine Heigl movie. I've seen that Katherine Heigl movie. One thousand hotties in the city. She's been through them all. Yeah. It's, it's okay. It's in the lower half of the deer. She had never given any of them a second thought. So why should this man be any different? Catherine Heigl fucks a thousand men, and she's not the slut. <clears throat> what would you title that movie? Someone give me, someone, someone give it to me. Someone give it to me with a thousand, the thousand haughty Catherine Heigl rom-com where she's already had sex with a thousand good-looking men in town, but then a new hottie's there, and she's like, uh-oh, but then she's also got to go out on the town. She can't run to any of her hotties. <laughs> Somebody come up with that title while I finish this. I, I'm not coming up with a great joke. I know it's def I know K is good for the pun, right? 
like 1K or something. Like that's kind of good. Like K is pretty good if you can shorten, if you can work that in. I don't know. We gotta, we gotta make a movie where women want to have sex, but they're not virgins already. We gotta make that movie because apparently it still has not been created where women are like, hey, I want to get laid, but I don't want it to be about incest, my first time, or going out of the country. Because <laughs> that's literally the only time women in movies get laid unless a man's like, take off your clothes. I have sunglasses. Look at the size of my pecs. <laughs> Sex is me pounding you in missionary before you put on the L-safe cheat. <clears throat> oh, was I supposed to be reading this? I blew all my energy on the fucking Grinch. <laughs> somebody called a garden? Did somebody call a fucking hedge mage? Somebody called a hedge mage. I think they did. Did they? Here we go. Why was she having such an intense reaction to him? He was handsome, but there were a thousand handsome men in the city. She had never given any of them a second thought, so why should this man be any different? She strengthened her resolve, determined to ignore his advances and deny him the satisfaction of any further reactions. It was a business dinner. He was the boss's son. It wouldn't be appropriate. He led her into the garden. <laughs> A thousand white lights shone from the bushes and hung from the top of the terrace, warming the night with their glow. I always thought these lights were romantic, he said, taking her arm in his. <laughs> Christmas lights are out of place in the summer. She shrugged, feigning disinterest. She could feel the heat of his body at her side. She forced herself to ignore it. Maybe the pool will impress you. My father had a custom made. <laughs> if showing her the pool doesn't do it, why would talking about that do it, dude? Oh, Jason, you've got a long way to go in this company. Oh, Nesbitt Incorporated. It's this way, he said with a lighthearted chuckle. What are you laughing at, you chuckle fuck? The house seemed to disappear behind a tall wall of trees, each one filled with those little lights. They turned the corner and laughed when she saw the pool. It looked like a natural pond, complete with a roaring waterfall and white water lilies floating to the surface. I always knew he was extravagant. She laughed and shook her head. But this is ridiculous. Just wait until you see what he's done with the pool house. He said, he brought in interior designers from France. It's a wonder he's managed to hold on to any of his money. <laughs> he pulled a key out of his pocket and unlocked the front door to the pool house. She stepped inside and he followed, closing the door behind him. Where's the light switch? She asked, feeling along the wall. I always thought things were more beautiful in the dark. He said, and she jumped. Suddenly, he was very close to her, his dark outline just visible next to her. I prefer to see things as they are, she said matter-of-factly. I can't very well see the fabulous French design if the lights are off. Who cares about the French, he asked, catching her hand as she looked for the light switch.
Who cares about the French? It's just a great line. He's trying to get his dick wet. Who cares about the French? She tried to pull her hand out of his grip, but he only moved closer to her, pressing her back against the wall. She gasped and turned her head away, trying to regain control of herself. Please, get off, she said with as much authority as she could muster. She felt his lips at her collarbone and she shivered. If that's what you want, he murmured against her skin, kissing his way up her neck. I'll stop, but I don't think you want me to. He felt her teeth graze her ear, and then she felt, and then she held back a sigh. I do. This isn't appropriate, she insisted, pushing him away. He caught her hands and pushed her backwards onto a couch she hadn't known was there. He climbed on top of her, crushing her under his weight. <laughs> what the fuck? That's you all over. She heard that smile in his voice. He held both her hands over her head, and she tried to wriggle away. Holy shit. You're all about what's appropriate, what's proper. You're so in control of everything. He used his other hand to remove the bobby pins from her bun. Her hair tumbled over her shoulders. Why don't you just let go for a moment? Give someone else control for once. Never! She met his gaze and refused to look away. While she stared, she felt his hand wander across her hips and down the inside of her thigh. She inhaled, and the corner of her lips tugged into an involuntary smile. I saw that, he said triumphantly, and kissed her in earnest. He pulled the bottom of her dress and drilled her fingers over the outside of her panties. She squirmed and tried to break free from his hands of the kiss. Let go. He whispered into her ear. She breathed. Her, his breath tickled her skin, and she shivered. Let me take care of you tonight. She closed her eyes as he pushed her underwear to the side, slipping one finger in between her pussy lips. She has not said a single affirmation. You're already wet, he said, circling her clit gently. She moaned, raising her hips towards his hand. I'm going to fuck you. He breathed into her ear. Tonight you will do exactly as I say. Tonight you belong to me. He growled, and her heart began to race. Her heart began to race at this state of events. <laughs> Magical circle of sexual threat, indeed. She slid a finger inside her and began to stroke her from the inside out. She bit her lip hard and her back ached. Jason. Oh, <clears throat> sorry. They don't have a mom. I forgot. Jason, dessert's ready. Get in here, boy. He heard his father shout apparently from the main house. Her eyes widened and he laughed. All right, we better head back. They must have seen the desperation. He must have seen the desperation of her face because he leaned in and kissed her hard? <laughs> this is not what I do if I see desperation in your face. Ready? Lick it. He brought his fingers to her lips, drenched from her excitement. <laughs> She'd never tasted herself before. And the thought of doing it now in front of him? It's almost too much for her. She licked her fingers tentatively 
and then took the whole thing into her mouth, sucking her juices off his fingers. Good girl, he grinned. Now we're going back for dessert. You mustn't let anyone know how attracted you are to me, and you must do everything I tell you without question. (laughs) She opened her mouth to protest, but one kiss from him silenced her. She would do anything at all if it meant that he would touch her again. Come on. He jumped to his feet and held a hand out for her. She took it with a wry smile, and they made their way back to the house together. Back in the dining room, Jason ignored his former place at the table and took the chair next to hers. She expected him to be all smiles and innuendo, but he wasn't looking at her at all. The dessert was rolled out on little trolley and set in front of them little pies of whipped cream on some type of cake. What did you think of the pool? said George, possibly, if that's the voice I did for him at the beginning. It was beautiful, she said. I've never seen anything like it. I... Before she could continue, she felt Jason's hand on her leg, sliding between her thighs. She looked at him with wide eyes, but he was looking at his father as though listening to a terribly interesting story. With his other hand, he licked a dollop of whipped cream and stood, and soon, with his tongue, the sight took her breath away. Amen, that's how it's written. I thought the carton was... Just incredible. Whoever designed it was a harness. <sighs> she trailed off her fingers, traced the inside of her thighs. I'm glad you thought so. I've always believed that people with good tastes are the best kind of people. He nodded with approval. Now eat up, everyone. The cake is its own kind of art. We're not going to say what kind it is. She tasted a spoonful of the cake and held back a moan. It was delicious. <laughs> Jason's fingers. <laughs> That's all you fucking get! <laughs> there was cake, there's cream on type on top, and it was delicious. <laughs> Jason's fingers traced her lips through her panties, and soon she spread her legs wider for him. He slid a finger inside her and took another bite as her eyes rolled back a little. <laughs> oh, Dad. Look at the time, he said, pulling back his hand. She made a little frustrated sound, and she saw his lips twitch into a smile. It's time I got Miss Carter back, don't you think? Jason, you know we have a chauffeur. I like to drive, he insisted and stood. She followed suit, standing up after him and thanking her father for the cake. If you'll follow me. He bowed slightly and led her out of the dining room. The second they were alone, the air between them charged with electricity. It was all she could do to keep control of herself. He took her hand and led her down the long hallway and up a flight of stairs. My father never comes to this side of the house, he said, pushing open a large mahogany door. It's haunted. An enormous bed dominated the room inside the silk curtains on every side. She hesitated at the entrance but pulled her inside. Sit, he commanded, pointing at the bed. She obeyed with butterflies in her stomach. She went into a large armoire in the corner and pulled open the doors. The open doors blocked her view of what was inside. Close your eyes, he said. She did as he asked and heard him move toward her. Then she could feel her heart pounding through every part of her body, keenly aware of its presence. He tied a soft blindfold over her eyes, and her skin tingled. 
She felt his fingertips at the hem of her dress, and she helped him pull it up and over her head. With one fluid moment, he undid her bra and let it fall to the floor. The air was cool on her naked skin, and her nipples were erect, waiting for his touch. She felt his fingers around his waistband. This is like listening to like a six-year-old have sex with two dolls, you know, like pushing them together. There's no talk about her body. There's no talk about what she looks like. There's no talk about him. It's like two naked Barbie dolls literally just kind of like pounding up against each other. This is crazy. There's so much description about other shit, and then when the author doesn't feel like it, it's like, it's cake. I don't know. She's naked. She's got tits. Listen, she has breasts. They look like something. They were beneath a bra. Now they're not. What do you want from me? <laughs> she felt his fingers around her waistband of her panties and pulled them down to her ankles, whisking them away so that it was completely exposed. Lay back. He whispered in her ear as the whole body trembled with anticipation. She heard him rustling around the room and then felt more soft fabric, this time around her waist. Her, he wrapped the silk around her wrist and pulled it up over her head, fastening it to the bed frame, and then he did the same with her other wrist and both her ankles. <laughs> her breath sped! And he put a reassuring hand on her arm. Don't worry. I promise you're going to love tonight. Just let go. He whispered in her ear. His breath was warm on her skin. <laughs> I don't know why that's so fucking funny, but it is. He bent down and kissed her slowly, their lips moving together. She felt the warmth of his body so close to hers and ached to move closer to him. Struggle all you like, darling. You belong to me now. He said with a low chuckle. Boy, you, you're supposed to reassure after you say something like that, chuckle fuck. <laughs> he got the order wrong. <laughs> the sound of his laugh sent a ripple of pleasure through her and began to kiss his way down her collarbone. His lips lightened along her stomach, tickling her as he went, and down, lower, lower, until she could hardly breathe. He nibbled gently along her inner thighs, teasing her with his touch, and ran little circles over his nipples with his fingers. She moaned quietly, unable to help herself. Now, for the real dessert. He muttered, and his tongue dipped between her legs. She gasped, throwing her head back as he went to work, sucking and stroking her swollen pearl. Before she could make a sound, slipped two fingers inside her and moved in time with the swaying of her hips. He breath became rugged, and she felt the sensation climbing, reaching towards the peak that was unlike any that she had ever felt before. Just as she felt like she was about to explode, he stopped! And his touch disappeared. Let me just go ahead and tell you right now, at this point, as a man, if you can lick a woman to orgasm, don't stop. Don't stop. If you can lick a woman to orgasm, and you want her to be in pain, here's how you do it. Lick her to orgasm, then break up with her. That's how you do it. You want to lick a woman and make her experience incredible fucking pain, eat her pussy out, and then break up with her, and then openly show on social media that you're texting her sister. That's how you hurt a woman by eating her fucking pussy. All right? You don't stop 90% the way through. <laughs> That's how you hurt a pussy by eating it. Let's just make it goddamn clear. 
<laughs> and then stopped. His touch disappeared. She protested loudly and then felt his hand over her mouth. Shh. You wouldn't want Dad to hear, would you? He asked, his voice low. You're going to have to do your best to stay quiet, or I'll gag you. She heard the smile in his words, but didn't doubt that he would carry out the threat. She struggled to get her breathing under control, embarrassed to have been lost in the sensation of him, but didn't give her a chance to recover. He kissed her again, and she could taste herself on the lips. It was also very animalistic, sensual, and unlike anything she had ever done before. She sat up and made her way as he left the bed without a sound. She had never felt more vulnerable or more excited. He returned, sitting at the end of the bed and chuckled again. Every time she heard him laugh, her stomach did a black flip. <laughs> I don't know why stomach doing a backflip is also getting me, but it sure is. I want to show you something, he said, and suddenly she heard a low buzzing. Her pulse once again quickened. She should be dead. He heard the vibrator against her thighs, trailing it along her skin, just past her slit, and up the other thigh. Her muscles shook, screaming for release of the tension that he knew would give her. Without warning, he pressed the vibrator against her clit, sending powerful waves of pleasure shooting through her whole body. It was an incredibly strong vibrator, which everyone wants. That's what women want. The most powerful vibration attached to their pussy. That's exactly what all women sign up for and all women's inquiries on sex toys are about. <laughs> she moaned aloud and then remembered his threat. Making a concerted effort to stay quiet, she was reduced to quivering silently under his hands and toy. When I say you're mine, I mean this too. He said, pressing the vibrator against her. You will come when I say you can come. Not before, not after. You are mine. I own you. The emphasis of his words lifted the vibrator, removing it from her completely, but keeping it close enough that she could still hear its buzzing and still long for its return. She writhed helplessly. Please, she breathed. Please what? He asked. What do you want? What do you need? Her breath, she felt her cheeks color. She felt her cheeks color. <laughs> Wanting to come was one thing, but asking was another. She moved her hips back and forth, listening to that buzz. I need it, she said helplessly. You need what? What do you need me to do? He asked again, and she knew suddenly that he could tell how difficult it was for her to say it. This is part of letting go, he told her. His voice was rough with desire. Give me control. Let go and say what you want. I want to come. What? He teased, pretending not to hear. I want you to make me come. That's what I wanted to hear. And he brought the vibrator back against her clit hard enough that she felt the vibration through her bones. <laughs> ah, hold on, hold on, I gotta take some notes on this one. <clears throat> Vibrator on Love Pearl until felt in bones. Dash, dash, Kempler, the name of the serial killer I was referencing was Kempler. Okay. <sighs> Okay.
<laughs> oh, hold on. I have to shorten that. All right. Swollen Pearl, Feelin' Bones, Kempler, Sorority Girls. Okay. I'll remember what that means. That's good. That's good. That's good. I, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll work. <clears throat> she felt it in her bones. Guess what, guys? There's another setting to the vibrator. He slipped his fingers inside her again, three this time, and caressed her G-spot with the vibrator buzz on. She clenched every muscle in her body, rocking on the powerful waves of the vibration that made her see stars more. He asked, and she managed to make a sound of affirmation. He pressed the button, and the vibrator kicked up a little notch. The emerald of the sex toys buzzing filled her ears, and the sensation was so strong she fought the ties around her arms and legs, spasming with pleasure. She was fighting to get away and fighting to get closer. Tell me when you're close, he commanded, his fingers working furiously inside her. Oh, my God! He turned off the vibrator so that she could not hold back her cry. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me when you're close. I'm gonna come. He turns the vibrator off. No! She thrashed fully against the ties furiously. I need it! Please! No! She began to babble incoherently. She was like a champagne bottle that had been shaken. All the pressure and energy rate of person nowhere to go. You will come when I say... He said again and climbed on top of her, kissing her full mouth and somehow pulling lips back. She kissed him back, pressing much of her body against her as he could, desperate for any kind of touch that he would offer. His erection fell between her legs and she nearly went mad with desire. He hovered over her, close enough that she could feel him, but not close enough to satisfy the intense need that he had created in her. He kissed her neck, her breasts, her lips, and she felt the naked skin on her chest a hair's breadth away. She pulled against her restraints furiously and groaned. Then he lowered himself irperceptibly. But she was so attuned to him that she felt it. Hold on. Then he lowered himself imperceptibly, but she was so attuned to him that she perceived it. Do you want me? He asked, his lips by her ear. She nodded vigorously, squirming beneath him, and she pushed himself inside and he pushed himself inside her. She was surprised at how thick he was, filling her up and stretching her wonderfully. He pulled her out slowly and then pushed himself back inside her, teasing her with the friction between them. She mouthed the words, unable to focus on anything but the feeling of his dick. He obliged, thrusting into her once, shaking her whole body with the force of it. Then again, and again, he fucked her just like she had never been fucked before. Soon she was rocking on top of the mattress. Huh? Her hands clawing at the bedsheets, and the waves of pleasure coming in a crest once more. Her head tilted back. Her mouth opened in a permanent gasp, and her back arched under the weight. It was too much. The intensity had been building for too long. She felt like her skin would catch fire, consuming her and him together in a blaze. Then he stopped. She tried to catch her breath, 
but she was at the edge, ready to fall over, so close to bursting that in her mind she could not think of nothing else. I will make you come harder than you've ever come before. She swore to her. He swore to her. <laughs> he swore to her? But first, you have to make me a promise. Anything, she said in a ragged whisper, twisting into sheets. Promise me, this will not be the last night we make love. Promise me that, and I'll make you the happiest woman who's ever lived. She nodded once, unable to breathe. She heard the buzzing of the vibrator once more. Then listen to me, he instructed. Come! He pressed the vibrator against her hard, and she fell over the edge, exploding with an orgasm that ripped through a scream of her throat and nearly pulled the bread fame to pieces. She rode the waves as they came crashing down again and again and again. She expected her to remove the vibrator as it came, but he pressed it in firmly against her increasingly sensitive clit. Uh-oh. Pushing that orgasm to new heights, she came and then kept coming longer than she ever had before. And all the while she heard him chuckle, that one that made her insides backflip and send electricity through her blood. She lay exhausted on the bed as he finally removed her blindfold. She was too tired to move, but managed a breathless laugh. It didn't come, she realized, and smiled, the beautiful, bright smile of his. We've met all night, he said, and the thought turned her bones to jelly. Welcome to the company, Miss Carter, said Jason as he kissed her. And the ghost closed the door, going down the hallway. The end! The end! The end of that one. There's not really a, there's not really a ghost. I just, I just, Jason says he doesn't come to this side of this house. I had to add that there was a ghost on that side of the house. Because <laughs> Jason doesn't explain why Dad doesn't come to that side of the house. So just real quick, author's note, there's a ghost. And he also watched the sex. That's how I get through it. Gotta tell stories. Guys, that was the live show. Thank you very much for having me come on back. I promise we'll be scheduling them soon. Uh, on the regular, for Fridays on the regular. Uh, I don't really feel like... I I, I kind of want to do a Friday show on Christmas on the 25th, but I don't think anybody will come. Change my mind? We'll see what happens. Otherwise, it's just going to be streaming a bunch of fucking shit and movies uh, all night long on the server. Everybody who's been on the server... Anybody who said anything at all, spread the podcast around. You are the reason why I came back, why I tried to be here with Bells On. I did have a lot of fun tonight. I hope you can tell. That was Boss's Son by Rachel Rorali. For our final piece. Thank you very, 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 very much. Appreciate each and every last one of you. Hope to see you soon. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and good night.